Welcome to episode 397 of We Don't Die Radio. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die as Skeptics, Discovery of Life After Death. And just a reminder, our home base is wedontdie.com, where you can find all kinds of things, including our world-famous weekly Sunday gathering inspirational service that has a medium demonstration included. If you are listening to this on your favorite podcast and you'd rather be watching my guest and myself, head over to YouTube, type in We Don't Die 397. Okay, easy to do, or just sit back and listen. Today we have a return guest. She is Frances Ray Key and is an award winning writer of scripts, books, and songs. Her books include The Team, A Mother's Wisdom from the Other Side, which chronicles her experiences of communication with her mother, Teddy, after she passed away. Her newest book is called In the Company of Souls, which is a collection of joyful and inspiring 87 psychic and spiritual experiences, which she and 15 of her close friends and family members have had over the course of their lives. You can check out her websites, theteambooks.com or her personal site, franciskey.net. Now there's a lot more going on in Francis's life, but we'll let her tell us in her own words. Francis, my friend, welcome back to We Don't Die Radio. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to this greatly. So nice to catch up with you too. We last talked, we last did our interview, gosh, almost 200 episodes ago, or ish. It was like five years ago. So I know we've got a lot to catch up on. And it's a given that we have new listeners who may never get back to that episode at all. So I'm wondering if today we could kind of recreate the interview with how you got on this path, what your story is, and then bring it up to present with what you're doing. That work? Yes, yes. Always. I'm always overjoyed to talk about anything to do with the uh, experience that I had that transformed my life. And by writing it down and sharing it has transformed many other lives as well. Um, My mother and I were extremely close throughout our life. And I, uh, we were both involved in the study of spiritual principles. And we shared many spiritual kinds of experiences together, uh, which I chronicle in the, in the company of souls books. Um, so I wasn't surprised after she passed away that I had an experience of communication with her. But I never dreamed it would take the form that it did. Um, I had always been something of a natural psychic or medium. Nothing I did professionally or actually even wanted to be extremely involved in. And I had had other experiences when people had passed of them giving me messages that were accurate for someone and so forth. So I felt like I would you know, connect with her. But the way it occurred was so profound um, that I could scarcely believe it at the time. 19 days after she died, uh, I was on a plane, an airplane, going to New York City to see two of my daughters who lived there at the time. And as I looked out the window 
you know how it is when you look out at the incredible clouds and sunlight and it was just so exquisite and coming so quickly at the heels of her passing I was really moved to tears and looking up and thinking to myself mom is there any distance for you because it looked so vast and I was trying to as we all do when someone passes trying to imagine her perspective or where she was and I heard her speak now it was in my mind but it was also audible and at first I hesitated to say that to people because I didn't want to you know alarm anyone but it was a it was a combination of hearing her voice and hearing and feeling it like through my being and she said in my in answer to my question, is there any distance for you? She just said, not, not in the way that it is for, for you. No, my distance is more my scope of intention. And this was such a strange way of saying something. Um, it was not the kind of language that was in my personal background. So as you can imagine, uh, I continued to think and speak with her and being a writer, took out my trusty pad and paper that I always have with myself and um, and began to write down what she was saying. And so at first I was I was expressing just my own personal feelings and some regrets and some concerns um, and my grief and so forth. But after this was a you know couple of hours of flight flying, but after a while it changed as she began to speak of universal, more universal principles. We got away from the personal conversation into uh, her real uh, message that she had come through to give me, which is, you are not alone. You are not even functioning as one person. Nobody is, for you are a member of a team, a spiritual team, as close to you as breathing. So she went on to develop this team concept throughout our uh, flight, and I thought that it would be a one-time experience, but it went on for about 18 months of continuous conversation with her, writing down everything. Book one was written in three weeks. And then the other ones, uh, it, it took longer to type them up and edit them after I'd scribbled it. It was all handwritten because it was almost like a, an experience of automatic writing, although I wasn't not aware of what was being written. But it was uh, a rapid Downflow, uh, download. I've come to learn that term, a download of information. And sometimes it would be a kernel. It was like a little seed was planted in my brain about a concept. And then that would quickly explode. It was, I've compared it to like, if all of a sudden in a flash, you knew an entire movie, the beginning, the middle, the end, and all the nuances in between. Like just all of a sudden you knew it and you could see it all. So we 
continued in this way until the four books were written. Um, team, the team, A Mother's Wisdom from the Other Side, books one, two, and three. And then the last book I named Beyond the Team because she impressed upon me that not to make this team material into some kind of dogma or some kind of, uh, oh, I've got it now. This is a body of work and this is it. That it, it was just an opening to go beyond the team, to go beyond the concept of a team. And she developed that. Now I say she, in the first book, it was truly her essence and only her essence. In the subsequent books, I could feel the energy and the communication of other teammates. And so the the book took on a different uh, a different feeling. In some chapters, they're very scientific or even medical or um, social. Some sound very uh, Zen. Some sound much more philosophical or uh, traditionally Christian um, or religious, I, I should say. So there's a big variety of energy, but she's all the way through there, undoubtedly. Um, but a team eventually uh, came through to give this information. And it's quite profound. They, the, the concepts are layered. When you begin reading a chapter, there's a basic premise, but then there are so many unusual uh, elaborations on that concept. Also, the language is very direct and sometimes urgent and sometimes designed to shake you up, not, not just be pretty but to really shake you up and, and wake you up. Right. Uh, so that that is how the team books came to be. And the, the personal effect it had on me was permanent. Within a very short time, I had been healed of many different aches and pains and maladies and things I'd struggled with for many years. Physical pain? Physical, Physical pain? pain. Oh, I did not know that about you. Wow. The energy of the, whenever I would feel this communication and write, and even if I didn't, just uh, sometimes I'd have to stop, pull over on the side of the road because it was like waves of ecstatic kind of sensations and uh, it, it, and f a feeling of floating at times. And that, at, at that time, now I'm not saying I'm 70 now and I've had some illnesses and, and right. things come upon me through the years. But for those few years, um, I felt like I was 20 years old again. My energy was through the roof. I didn't need to sleep very much. Um, I was uh, just bouncing off the walls with this energy and joy and the, the I have scoliosis and, you know, different things that have caused me pain throughout my life and chronic migraines. All of that vanished <clears throat> for a pe long period of time. It was very rare that I ever felt 
any of it. So it, it was this feeling that the team had moved in with this tremendous information and that the vibrations that it took to rise up and meet them halfway and what they were infusing into me uh, was was a type of uh, supernatural healing and energy so that I could accomplish what it took to, to handwrite four very lengthy books and um, and then type them up and get them prepared. Yeah, I know some people that the team books really are their go-to reference on life and living and living powerfully. So thank you for all that work. How did it help with your grief? Because 19 days in, I'm sure you were devastated. I live with my mom now and I love her beyond words. She's been in my life now 57 years. So I, I know we're tight, but I also, I can't even imagine what the grief would be with, you know, your mom was your anchor to life. So how did this communication impact your grief? I was, I was 58 when my mother died and I'd been taking care of her for several years. She had cancer and you know, was there every step of the way as she had treatments and faded. She was 86 when she died. Um, I believe the assistance that I was getting, was going to get, had begun even while she was sick because I found somehow uh, a capability and a strength and almost a, a feeling within myself of leadership for the rest of the family um, to get through that, to go through hospice, to uh, when she passed away, I had already written her obituary. I would sit with her and I, I wrote just looking at her, this beautiful, because I knew we were going to need it and that it was coming. And that I uh, didn't want us to have to do it later. Everyone has said it's the most beautiful thing they've ever read, <laughs> a published obituary. Um, and I think it was because she and, and our team were right there with me to prepare that. I also had written out the prayer that I wanted to say upon her passing um, when she died, we, we had this special prayer that we all said around her. So I'm not saying that to blow my horn. I'm saying that to show that somehow I was helped to prepare. Now, after she died, I, I did struggle. I, I kind of couldn't go back in her house very easily, which I now live in. Um, I stayed with my sister all the time. Um, there was a lot of pain, but there was such awareness of her presence, I, I want to say, and her continuity. I'd had enough experiences where I knew, of course, that she was in a beautiful state of being. I'd, I had no doubt of that. And several people had encounters with her um, 
shortly after she died or even the day she died, someone called me up and uh, she had come to him in a dream at 4 a.m. right when she died. So we 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 were already very aware of this. But um, after that experience, 99% of my grief vanished because I was in constant communication with her. And I remember going to my sister and saying, something in me has changed so permanently. And I feel like something in me left with her and something of her came into me. And I'm not even Frankie anymore. I said, I, my nickname's Frankie. I said, all the Frankiness is gone. And my sister said, well, this doesn't sound good. I'm worried about you. You should talk to a counselor, you know? And I said, no, it's not, it's not like that. It's, uh, there was an exchange. And from the books, I've learned that we have spiritual DNA, just like we have physical DNA. And that this, uh, that there was an exchange of spiritual DNA, and that part of me truly did depart, and part of her truly did enter in and stay. Now, having said all that, just two days ago, I was out at, I'm in a different place right now, but I was out at the property that she lived in, where she lived and died, and I now own and I live there. And I listened to a piece of music that I hadn't listened to in some time that is connected to her, and I was just crying my heart out. But it, it, it wasn't the kind of grief that you think of as grief. It was really just being struck with the beauty of her life and the beauty of her essence and the beauty of her legacy and the miracle of being of of passing on and immediately being able to bring forth this information that clearly this team sorry when i talk about it sometimes i can feel this whole team around me and it it really just gives me chills it's like no more, apologies necessary you gave more me than your body you can um, contain it's not sadness you know <clears throat> but it's love it's love and it's that they, uh, what they all did, uh, this team, to get this information out. And when I open the books, sometimes I'll just open and read it. And I know, you know, I didn't write that. I'm a student of it and I'm in awe of it. And I can't even remember hardly writing it. <laughs> I, I really can't. And at the time, when I would would write it, or it came to me, I understood everything that I was writing. I was, that's what lifted me up so, because I got it. It was so enlightening. It was invigorating because it enlightened my entire self, my entire being. Um, but now, sometimes I read it, and I have to read it again, and try to even grasp how much depth is there. Yeah. You were the instrument. Let me ask, did your mom or the team talk about the afterlife and the purpose of life and that sort of thing? If you'd share any of that kind of wisdom. Well, 
extensively. Now, the main thing they're talking about is how to best live our lives here according to the highest spiritual principles. Um, because, yes, there is an afterlife, but uh, our focus really is, is the here and now. So when we raise ourselves up through meditation and study and reading and experiencing videos of this kind, um, it, it is never to be for the purpose of escape or entertainment, uh, but to, to come back with uh, a vibration, a jewel, as it were, sort of like going up and gathering a, something beautiful that we can come back and enhance our lives and our spiritual development with so we can offer that to other people. You know, she, some of the main concepts that really apply the most to the practicality of belonging to a spiritual team, but also being right here on earth, is the concept that um, some of us are in the lookout tower and some of us are the boots on the ground, okay? Wow. And that your position is superior or inferior to another. It's simply an exchange of position at times. The human body, the experience of the human body is so, so, so brief. I think any of us who study this material, we realize we are so minuscule in this this incredibly infinite universe. However, and we would be, if we were cut off from our spiritual source, we would be like the, I don't know, like a grain of sand uh, on, on the ocean with really no uh, impact except for our co collection, uh, our power of collectivity. But it's because we are constantly constantly connected to the to God, to the source, to this entire universe that we have any actual um, uh, ability to impact this world. If we're cut off, we're we're as we really couldn't even function. But it is this connection. So she pointed out that the soul has many aspects, just like the human brain has all these different parts of the brain that are doing different things at the same time, right? I mean, there's a math part and a language part and a spatial part and the ability to speak and all these parts of the brain are doing their thing. But the soul is also doing that. And only certain aspects of the soul come and connect with this human body at any given time other aspects are doing other things so it's you can think of it as a part of yourself a, a part of us is here the part that we brought brought through in this lifetime because we needed this part for this experience but other parts of us are on the other side or even in other dimensions and because we are on the other side we are with our loved ones. I mean, there are aspects of my soul that are right there with my mother, right there with my team. Uh, there's no disconnection. 
And so this is why we're told that when they pass over, they don't miss us the way we miss them because they're with us. They're aware of being with us, this other, these other aspects of us, which are directly connected to this aspect as well. And realizing that to me was extremely comforting and also uh, empowering because I realized, well, I have an assignment in this short little period of time. We all do. And let and never think that any assignment is insignificant or unimportant. If you are taking care of your mother, if you are taking care of a child, if you're a, a single person without children, uh, you have a sphere of influence. Whether you go out to work or work in front of Zoom, we all have a sphere of influence. And in that circle of influence, we have incredible uh, importance. And there's reasons for what we're doing. Nothing is insignificant. And we can make the most ordinary ordinary thing in life, uh, because it's already not an ordinary thing, it's extraordinary. We can make it incredibly impactful in this world just by infusing love into it, just by doing something kindly, just by doing something with grace, by giving generously without always expecting something in return. The most simple concepts that we're given time and time again in every religion of this world. Um, it doesn't have to be over the top or uh, huge yeah. by worldly standards. Little things matter. The little things are everything. You can do one big thing great, but if all the little things are faltering, what do you really have? No foundation. Another concept that was very incredible in this book is called vibrational spheres. And this concept helped me understand why I, as an, before I had this experience, why I would have uh, bouts of incredible darkness and depression or in waves of anger. And then I would look back and think, how, where did that come from? It was like a tidal wave, not just like a, it was not a force I felt like I could even resist. It was such a tidal wave of emotion. And I was shown that there are these enormous vibrational spheres all throughout the universe. And she says if we had the physical eyes to see, because our eyes see this limited spectrum of light, but they're all around us. And that's what I used on the cover of the, the book in the Company of Souls, with these vibrational spheres. Um, there's spheres of love, there's spheres of fear, of hope, of anger, of addiction, of abuse, all these, and we're always contributing to them and we're always drawing from them. So if, if many of us have loved ones and friends who have become addicted to a substance, if, if this occurs, it is because that person is not only experiencing the, the physical effects of addiction, but they have tied into vibrationally to a sphere of addiction where all 
those who have been addicted have poured their energy and have and are drawing energy and then that becomes like a tidal wave that they feel they can't overcome the same thing with incredible anger when people look back and they think how did i do that or say that they tied they they tuned into anger that was not even theirs addiction that was not even theirs and the same is true for love the same is true for when somebody is heroic and, and lifts a car off someone in an accident. They are drawing on everyone who has been heroic, everyone who has done something miraculous. So she pointed out the, the more we can deliberately, through meditation or even just awareness, become, become aware of and respond to these spheres around us. And if we're feeling a bit down or heavy or angry or any of those things, remember there's a sphere that you're drawing from and contributing to that involves energy from eons of time. And just think that's where that's coming from. That's why it's so intense. And I'm going to shift because we have just as much capability of connecting with love and forgiveness and peace in these spheres as we I, do the others. I'm, it's a mind-blowing concept. It really is. And I've never looked at it as far as fears go, but I know I've been in some dark ruts and very well could be a sphere. But then adding something like gratitude, just some simple things, like I'm grateful I have a bed to sleep on. I'm grateful I have fresh water. I'm grateful I have air to breathe. And then it starts to grow. And it just seems like the more I start feeling the things I'm grateful for, I, I have completely shifted. So it sounds to me like there are ways to move a, move from a sphere and pull one closer, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yes. And of course, sometimes when we're in a really dark place, we can't even begin to think, well, I'm going to reach all the way up here to this, but take the baby steps. Like it's like a ladder gratitude, of course, being the most powerful one of all to, to simply take tiny, tiny steps and you can feel it happening. Isn't it incredible how you can feel that when you just do gratitude for fresh water, gratitude that I can still, that I can see that I can hear that I, and it, it, it really can lead you very quickly out of, out of that kind of state of mind. Yeah. There's Love a chapter. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> There's Send a chapter. Why gratitude works. And it starts out with the story of uh, the biblical story of Jesus and turning the uh, fish and the loaves into to, enough to feed multitudes. So uh, apparently the story is that a child brings him this bread and these few fish, and he's got a crowd of 5,000 people. And the first thing he did was bless it. And then everyone was saying, well, that's not going to be enough. We can't feed 5,000. But he blessed it. And then it began to multiply. And no matter how many people they fed, there was enough. So this is just, it just tells you everything. If you can bless, it doesn't matter what you have. If you have a penny, bless it. If you have 
just a little bit of water to drink. Bless it. Bless whatever. And I don't even want to say have, because then we immediately go to possessions. But even an inner state, if if you're feeling extremely low, bless the the ability to even say the words, I am blessing my own soul. I am blessing the light that I'm made of. It all begins with the gratitude. It all begins with gratitude. It all begins more than gratitude. It begins with the recognition that everything is enough. I've got this feather here. If I start comparing this feather to bigger feathers, to peacock feathers, to more colorful feathers. If The minute you start comparing something, it's not enough. But when you can simply see the, the beauty in that item or that situation or that person or that or something about yourself, when you can simply see the value inherent in it and stop comparing, I have only one dollar, that can only buy ABC, but In and of itself, a dollar is perfect. A dollar is perfect as a dollar. When we look at a baby, we don't, we are over the moon with bliss over this child who cannot speak. Think of a newborn, cannot speak, cannot walk, can't do a thing for you except cry and maybe, you know, cuddle a little. But what we see is perfection. The baby is perfect. Even though the baby is helpless, the baby is perfect as a baby, not comparing. And also, you feel the potential in that baby. So everything that we're in has potential. And it can go, the books describe, in every different direction. There are all these strands of possibilities. And I know there's a lot of talk about alternate realities because all these strands exist. Everything's about the choice. The power of choice in any given moment is beyond beyond belief. The, the, the fact that we have chosen on this day, in this moment, to speak to each other about this rather than do any billion other things, literally billion, that we could choose to do is phenomenal because we immediately create a strand of of possibilities is what it's called in the books, strands of possibilities. And we unchoose other things by choosing this. So the choice of the moment, a chapter called the choice of a moment describes in great detail what our choices really are all about and what they what they create in this universe. It's very exciting. Powerful stuff. I want to get back to our team. Not too long ago, I was talking about, I don't know if I said team or not, but it's like, imagine your hand. You know, each one of us thinks we're this. Oh, we're alone. It's just me. But meanwhile, it's like, hey, we are right here with you. Could you talk a little bit about our team and maybe how we can trust and be in touch and know that we are part of a team, that we're not alone. Because it's tough sometimes being human, most of the time, thinking that we are all alone in our journey. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I've come to realize that our team, that each member of the team has different gifts. So we are surrounded by, we are part of, and let me repeat the, the premise of the books. You are not alone. You're not even functioning as one person. Nobody is, for you are a member of a spiritual team as close to you as breathing. Now, if I'm not functioning as one person, I think I am, but I'm not. She points out that we're like a representative that goes to a conference and makes a presentation. I like that. Enormous team back in the office who, well, you go, you go do this, you know. And they're, they all, all the office members, they all help prepare you before you go and they make sure you have the materials. And they say, well, if you get in trouble, you know, if you have a problem, text me, give me a call. We just for, we just get there and we stand up in front of everyone to make this presentation and we forget that we can text and that we can call and that we can indeed reach out to them. Uh, true, we have our assignment and we've agreed to do this and we've agreed to do our part. Um, but like Maya Angelou, I think it is, says, when she, she said, when I step up on to stage, I take everybody with me. Have you heard her say this? I haven't. That's fantastic. I take everybody with me. I take everybody who's on the, who's died and ever loved me. I take everyone who's ever said a kind word to me. I take my mother and my father and my girl, and I take all my ancestors I never even met. I take everybody with me. I'm never alone when I make stand on that stage. And this is happening to us without our knowledge. But just like a, a child, for example, who goes out and thinks they're all alone trying to, I don't know, do a chore in the yard. <laughs> um, they, they simply aren't aware that the parent is right there watching. The parent will help them. The parent did teach them before they sent them out to do the chore. And that they do have the, uh, the what they need within them to do this chore. Now, if, if, if they fail, if they mess it up, it's okay. Because what do we do when a child has a problem or fails or messes up? If, if we're a wise parent, we give them support, we give them honest feedback, we don't condemn them, and we give them another chance, and we show them how, and they go forth again. So in that sense, we do not have to push ourselves to perfection. We simply remain aware that we are surrounded at all times by a team that has many, many, many gifts and if we don't have the ability at that moment to handle something, we can call on someone to come close and help us. I mean, there are times in our lives we have to do things that we think we, we could never do right. or that we don't have the skill. We don't have the words. How do I handle this? How do I approach this person or this child or this relative or this situation with some wisdom? And even though we may not have 
the conscious skill. If we allow our teammates by inviting them consciously and with faith to come in and help us, we will receive help. It's sort of like saying, would you take to, to somebody, would you take over this computer? I can't figure this part out. Now, I'm going to watch and I'm going to learn because I don't want to be helpless and always rely on you. But, and they put their hands and they do it for you. Do we need to ask or do they just jump right in? I think it happens. I mean, it, of course, it happens all the time without us realizing it. If only we could see the number of times that we have been interceded with or, or supported or rescued. Think of children. How many times has a toddler saved? No idea that that was occurring. They were pulled from in front of the traffic, but they were stopped from harming themselves. And they will go right on with no awareness that that ever occurred to them in their lives. It's the same for us. It's going on all the time. But acknowledging it and being grateful and thanking them is very, very important. It's not always help me, help me do this, do this. It's more I know you're there. Yeah. I trust you. Some people want to, you know, you you can simply use the word God or whatever means uh, that to you. Understanding that these teammates are simply individual souls who are working as a collective, and you're part of that that team, that collective, who also have been made in the image and likeness of God. I mean, when you think of that that we're made in the image and likeness of God. There's no ego in that. Any more than I say I inherited brown eyes from my dad. We have inherited the, the, the characteristics of our creator. We have them. It's our choice to use them. Yeah, very powerful words. One of mankind's biggest fears is being alone and to know that we're not and to live as if, you know, because you may not feel it, you may not have that connection right away. And I do think it takes, like you said, quieting the mind, meditation, having that intent. I want to ask you about your current, your most current book in the company of souls, because you said you have stories in there. Can you talk a little bit about why you put it together and share some of the stories? We love stories here. We love them. Love them. Oh my gosh. You know, like I said, I've had a lifetime of uh, psychic and mediumship type experiences, but not just me. Um, Like you, I have many people in my life who I've connected with some from childhood, childhood friends, and of course, my own children. Um, and it, it's it's just constantly coming up and, and occurring, some of them. So what I decided, I, I had planned to do this for posterity. I thought, you know, I'm going to just start collecting all these stories and put and have them for the children and the grandchildren. And you start thinking like that when you're 70 years old. <laughs> so. Um, But as I went along, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to put this out to the public because it's like you said, we do love stories. 
And I've I've put in there a little a photograph and a little bit about each person who contributed their stories. About 50% of them are mine. <clears throat> and then the other 50% belong to this group of people. And on the book, it says 87. Well, we got three more and put them in at the last minute. So there's really, there's really 90. Um, they rent these stories range from funny to uh, quirky to really profound and deeply moving. Some are unnerving. Some are um, uh, just awe-inspiring, you know. So, yeah, I it's hard to know what one to share, but I did. I did pull in the book. Okay, good. Thought I would. Oh gosh, it went away. Of course, no, it's okay. It's okay. We'll come back. Um, are they psychic? There are they beyond the veil messages people have gotten or signs that they've gotten? All those kind of. Things. Yes, most of them are uh, communication with someone who has passed away. Beautiful. The majority, the majority in, involve that. Some of them are simply um, someone uh, receiving what they felt was assistance from yeah. God or from their team or from an angel, uh, things like that too. Um. So I'm I'm getting back into the book. Yeah, no problem. I'll find, you know, we there are stories of, and and the important thing about these stories is I only chose those that we could confirm, that we could verify, right? That involved another person. That involved, for example, one of them. Uh, my my cousin Jan died, and. Uh, a few years after she died, she came to me in a dream and she told me that uh, she said, I need to tell you that somebody's son is going to be in an accident, but please tell the friend uh, to tell the family he'll be all right. And of course, in this dream, I said, well, who who is it? Right. And she said, and this would be typically my cousin, too. She said, I feel so silly. I can't remember who it is. But I know that I was supposed to tell you that it's somebody's son in our family. And I said, well, okay. And I knew in the dream, it was a very lucid dream. And I knew that uh, that that this uh, phone call was a phone call in the dream. And this often comes as a phone call when somebody communicates with me in a dream. So I knew it would be ending soon. So I immediately shifted and I said, Jan, tell me. Tell me how it is there. What are you doing? What is it like? And she told me, oh, it's, it's, I can turn myself into a little girl anytime I want. And I can go running out in the grass. She said, it's just beautiful, the flowers and the colors. And she just described the landscape and how she was with her mother and my mother, because that was her, my mother was her aunt and that she was so happy. But she, then she went back to it. But please tell the family. So I did tell the family a little bit nervous about it because I thought, well, I don't want to upset everyone and confuse everyone. But I'm glad I told them because then it was later that week. Um, her sister, Jan's sister, my other cousin, her son uh, was in a terrible 
motorcycle accident and he was riding with no helmet, but he was not severely injured. He had no head injury, he had no broken bones. He was scraped up. Nobody could believe it. It was like over the, he was on a big highway too, like going 50 miles. So uh, in this way, it was verified because I had told people about it and then it came true. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, uh, I'm trying to find the, the That's story. Okay. I know you've got a lot in your mind because not only have you written those books, I know you've got a play out there. I know that you've got a a fiction book. Maybe after we talk about this, maybe just a couple of minutes about your fiction book. You've got, you got a lot going on. So maybe one more story if you think of one, maybe with the connection in the afterlife and then a little bit about your, your uh, fiction book and then we'll wrap it up. All right. All right. Um, there are there there are so many. One of one of them, my daughter, whose name is Autumn, she's a business executive, mm-hmm. very, very logical kind of type A personality, dynamic woman. However, in the midst of that personality, she has incredible psychic and communicative experiences. And in one of them, uh she dreamed that her father, my former husband who had passed, sent her, uh, came to her in a dream and told her that uh, she was going to join him, that she was going to die soon. And of course, she woke up in the morning. This is a young, healthy woman in her, her 30s, just bewildered by this. And she received a text message from him, and it was empty during like three or four in the morning. So she sees it on her phone. She had this dream. Mm -hmm. She goes and uh, immediately gets her will together that she hadn't done because she was so stunned by the, both the text message and the dream. And just uh, a mother of two, you know, just really frightened and bewildered. So it was later that week that I was with her and she, I was at her home. She walked up the stairs. I said, I'll see you later. I turned around to walk away. And I suddenly had a feeling that something was seriously wrong. So it came to me as well. In that moment, I ran up to, ran up the stairs to check on her and she was coughing up blood. She had five years for the next five years. She had constant lung problems, coughing up blood. They couldn't find the place in her lung that was bleeding she could they said it, it, it could hemorrhage she could die we went through endless treatments and and things like this for five years until finally a doctor did uh take decide to take out a lobe of her lung as an experiment where they thought the bleeding was coming from and sure enough she's never had it since great so my daughter was healed she's 42 now but in that dream and in that text message was a direct communication from her father who could see that she was in this condition. And I was there that day to help her. Uh, it was all uh, arranged for her to be helped and not be alone, you know, in that condition. So we have many, many stories. I think, like I said, there's 90. Some of them are funny. 
Some of them are uh, dramatic like that. Some of them have to do with, um, uh, most of them have to do with someone who has passed over and has come through to somebody in the family. And we have proven, because she told everyone about those dreams, and then did indeed immediately come down with a life-threatening illness, we have proof that those uh, these things were accurate. Mm-hmm. But they're not all frightening. Some of them are just yeah, of course. So so uh, healing and and uh, meaningful. So what had you write a non uh, fiction book? Well, I wrote the, the fiction book uh, based on the concept, the strands of possibilities uh, that our choices ripple out. But our choices, and this is important. I really want to end with this: when we make a choice, we always think in our linear time that the effect of our choice is going forward. Of course, it's cause and effect into our future. But if you drop a rock into a pool of water, the ripples go in all directions. And it was shown to me in these books that everything that we're doing in the present moment is changing not only the future, but what we call the past. And there's a great deal of development of this throughout the books uh, it's really a lot in the beyond the team, the fourth book, but it's mentioned in the first book as well. And it's because we have this linear view here that we don't realize that in in re, in, in when you're out of the body that we don't have this kind of time. We have this kind of time where everything's stacked on top of each other, and so at any point along that continuum, anything that occurs is affecting everything, not just the future. So we're changing past events. We're changing past history. We're changing, uh, collectively, we're changing history in the world, but we're also changing our own personal history. I I would take a long time to describe (laughs) how they describe this happens, but I took that concept and I put it in a novel these two women who are actually two aspects of one another's souls and don't realize it. One is living in 1939 and one's living in 1999. And they each take a train in Europe in their own time frames. And uh, they their journey by train causes a supernatural intersection of their lives with that rewrites both their destinies and their history. And the book is called The Train to Hofhausen. And I should not have named it that because nobody can spell it to look it up. (laughs) But it's a mythical city in Germany, a made-up city in Germany, and it's spelled H-O-F-F-E-H-A-U-S-E-N, The Train to Hofhausen. And if you look up franciskey.net, and that's spelled F-R-A-N-C-E-S, not I-S, um, you can access all the books that way too. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I had one other question that came to mind. The way you wrote and you heard your mom and the team, would you suggest if people are interested in writing that they get talking to their team and they get into some kind of a practice of writing? I think so many times when people hear something, they all cool. I want to, I want to try that, but they may do it a day and no miracles happen and they're done with it, but there has to be commitment, right? Yes. 
there ha- there and, and whether it's writing or whether some people are just do not want to write it, it it's not their thing you can even just speak i've even spoken into my phone when information would come i couldn't write i've spoken what i was getting into my phone um i think the commitment is i would suggest to be committed to meditating whatever meditation form you choose it can be mindfulness it can be doing things in a very mindful slow manner if if sitting and meditating is not your not something you can handle um because once you make that your practice then whether you decide to write whether you decide to speak or doodle and draw that's another one if you just sit and doodle on a piece of paper at times that's a form of meditation and you can get something and if 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 whatever it is even if it's just one word one phrase nobody has to write a book i mean this is a very unusual and, and this particular team this was their project and they got it done and i was willing to be the scribe and they got it done uh and it took a lot of effort on a lot of teammates parts so this is an unusual thing but everybody can be just start with being open through meditation and then periodically through the day choose a phrase that works for you um it can be as simple as i'm listening nice i know you're here thank you i'm listening and things will come that's what we're all doing we're all in communication whether we know it or not but conversations like we're having help people become aware that the that the communication is there and this awareness wakes us up to that it's an ongoing constant pulsating real uh event it's a flow it's a flow all the time to the extent that we allow it beautiful and of course we know the things that block it and there's no reason to feel guilt over the fact that sometimes we do block it with our own fear mm-hmm. and other kinds of emotions because that's what being human is it is oh francis or can i call you frankie <laughs> thank you so much for being our guest today you're so welcome oh, so filled with joy and to our listener or our viewer thank you for being with us today uh, just a reminder you can go to franciskey.net or also theteambooks.com find out more she's such a beautiful lady and the wisdom is for a lifetime and beyond really great a reminder that our home base is we don't die.com if you don't yet have a copy of my book and you just want to read it i offer you a free pdf copy chapter 10 i think is the most important chapter it's on grief and how to survive grief i know many of us looking for evidence of the afterlife it's because we've had somebody in our life who has departed we want to know they're around 
but also to know how to get through that pain. So if you go to wedontdie.com, scroll to the bottom and ask for your name and your email address. Yeah, you join my email list, but that's fun to do because you get to know everything that's going on. It says it's just the first few chapters of my book. The secret is it's the whole thing. Yes, it is. Also, we offer weekly medium classes. And like I mentioned, our spiritual service every Sunday at two o'clock New York time. It's been going on now. We're going into our fourth year and it's filled with inspiration, motivation. And we have a medium demonstration within each and every one showing just how close our loved ones are. They're filled with joy and they are awesome. What else do I have to say? Not much, but again, thank you to our beautiful guest. Check out our sites. In closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. I am always so privileged and delighted to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that our lives here are important. It sure is nice to remember, though, that we have a team with us. So anytime you look at your hand, you might think this is you, but it's not just four fingers that follow. I'm sure there's so many more. So I know you're listening quiet down, get into that meditative state and trust. You are a mighty soul and you're one of a kind and you're perfect. So I really want to thank you for listening or for watching and we'll see you again soon. 